0: move on from the early 90s period and talk about some of the other stuff too but um, before leaving there I just wanted to get your take on something that I had believed which was that it seemed to me like Prince made more intense interesting music when he was kind of like ticked off a little bit or had more of a chip on his shoulder so you know to me that whole period when he was going through the thing with the name change and the the Warner Brothers feud and all that Mm -hmm. I thought that some of his great creativity and stage performances were kind of fueled by that in a way, you know, that he had this more intense attitude and it was coming out through the music. Did you feel that at
1: all? There's no question. There's no question about it. And you know, Prince really wore his heart on his sleeve when it came to music. I remember so many conversations uh, that I had with Prince, man, ended up uh, turning into songs. I can tell you two specifically that I know I had spoke to him about it before and then the next day I know their song. One was called Papa, that he did the song. Uh, and um, he was just kind of, yeah, he was just kind of telling me about how it was growing up and everything. And, and we just kind of had that conversation about it. And, uh, you know, so was stepdad would have him go out and pick out the dandelions and all of this. And he said, uh, yeah, you know." And that dude asked me for a job, and I said, "Well, you see all them dandelions out there in the yard? He can go out there and pick them out." And he just he just had a big yuck about it. And then next day, I know he's got the song "Papa." And then, uh, the, the, but the biggest one, man, I I remember from the Gold Experience, man. Um. Uh, that was like uh. F- like face down, uh, around that era. Uh, not from the Gold Experience, but I mean, um, later on down the line when we did Emancipation. Uh, I remember uh, we got a review on um, the Gold Experience. And, uh, you know, man, we had actually some pretty good reviews on the Gold Experience, man. I mean, I, I, a lot of stuff was kind of cool. But this wine cat just went in on it, man. And usually that didn't bother Prince. Like, even, you know, he could care less about what somebody said about critics, you know, whatever, whatever they said. And it was crazy because... Um, I remember him showing me this 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 review. This guy just really went in on us and we're like, oh, this is terrible. This Is like this, that, and the other, and I just went on this tirade, man. I was like, man, f that, man. I said, this that dude. No matter of fact, can kiss all our butts and just lay us face down so he can kiss our butts on the way out. And he just died. I said all of this stuff, man, just like went on a cussing tirade, man. And he just was like laying on his desk laughing. And I, dude, it wasn't two days later. I get a call like to come up into the office. Uh, to his like apartment that he had at Paisley Park. This dude got the song face down, finished, produced, knocked out all the words, everything, just thank you, good night, just on everything that I had went on my custom tirade about. And he had made it a song. He said, I got something for you. Check this out. And it was like, oh my God, this is crazy right now. And so he would take everything that was happening. And it's like with Warner Brothers, like the fights. Like all of that stuff, man, I walk in in the office, he'd be standing up in his chair, yelling at Mo Austin or whatever he was doing. He just would channel all of that into the Music Man and really talk about even with Exodus and like like would talk about the, the relationship with the labels and how they look at artists and all of those types of things. All of that went in his Music Man because that's what he was feeling. And he would project all of that out. And so definitely there was a lot of warring going on between him and the label. And he was just going to let him know. Because he told me, he said, I'm not scared of none of these dudes, man. And he told me, if you find me floating in the river, go look for this dude over here. You know, he told me, like, go look for him. I ain't going to call no names. But he said, that's who you look for first. He said, because I'm not scared of none of these cats. And they're not going to run over me. And they're not going to just do whatever they want to do. And I mean, and and that's one of the things I admire about Prince the most. I saw him light up Clive Davis one night like a Christmas tree. Because, you know. Uh, they were talking about you know one of the things that they did and I, and you know these are legends of, of the industry you know these cats are heavy duty cats. That's the record they did, absolutely. And I, I remember you know Clive was talking about how well you know historically uh, you know the artists get their their money from uh, you know the records from from, from from you know the concerts and stuff. And he was saying you know Prince you're not selling any records. And Prince said let me see if I understand you correctly. I'm supposed to make the record and sell the record. He said what you get a check for. <laughs> I was like, ah, because he was just like, you know, he was he was not afraid to speak truth to power. And he was not going to be pumped. And so he was like, Clive, if I got to make the record and sell it, what you getting a check for? What do you do? That was Clive Davis, bro. So it's like, woo. And I was sitting right there like, oh, ouch. And it was like, yeah, this dude did not care, man. He did not, was not worried about hurting their feelings. I've seen him do the same with Charlie Walk and, 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 and uh, just Benny Medina, all of them, man. You know, uh, uh, Jimmy Iveen. I saw him work Jimmy over one night till he was just at his head in his hand, like, Prince, you're killing me, bro. You're killing me. Just tearing Jimmy Iveen up. Ask him, would you have your kid sign the same contract you gave to Will. I am. Would you make your kid sign that? And finally, Jimmy had to say, no, I wouldn't. Okay, thank you. That's all I wanted to hear you say. That was that dude, man. He was not afraid and he was would take him to task and just say, you should treat everybody that way then, you know? And so that was one of the things I definitely admired about Prince. He wasn't afraid of nobody in no circumstance like that. And uh, and would say his mind and speak his piece, you know, because a lot of times you got cast, they're trying to keep the peace and, and play ball and all this kind of stuff. And I, and I used to wonder about that. I'm like, but you could be so much more successful. You're like, I don't care nothing about that, man. I'd be true to myself and true to my music. That was the situation. It's about being true to self and true to his music. And he didn't care if it was like success. When he got off the train, like the award shows and all that kind of stuff, he was like, man, all of that stuff is crazy. I ain't worried about none of that. They give me some kind of award. I don't need that. You know, so that was a rebellious period. I looked at that. It was like one of his rebellious periods when we were doing that. We felt like a bunch of you know, pirates and stuff, man. That's what was funny. We looked like pirates and we just felt like that. It was just cool. You know, and I I love that era, particularly for myself. You know, because I was kind of new, and it was just it just was powerful, man. I just remember that being that way. But you're definitely right, man. And I think that was a time when he was most certainly uh, very active in in this whole fight with the labels and and all of that. He just wanted to bring attention to artists and and and, and unification of artists and understanding what what you get when you get into the system. You know, and I think that's one of the things he wanted to put at the fo- at the forefront.
0: You know what, also, was really cool about that period, too, um, for me at least, was all the cover songs you guys did. You know, for the longest time, Prince did little to no covers. You know, he would even say, you know, he didn't listen to them, he wasn't aware of them. You know, he played that whole game. And then in that period, you guys were, were hitting it with all the Larry Graham stuff and the Sly Stone stuff and even How Players. Yeah. And I mean, all so many great uh, funk songs, Flashlight and we were just all Absolutely. over those. And that was, you know, it, it wasn't just like a cover band doing it. This was the MPG
1: doing it justice, you know, and I really enjoyed that. Well, that was good. And and I think it was really a big deal because really for Prince, what it was we were paying homage to some of the people that influenced him. I mean, we used to watch tape like Parliament and like James and, and um I remember I can tell, Richard, and like all of the stuff. Like I remember one day we just listen to some more Richard outtakes, man, and it was just crazy, man. I mean, he was an avid studier of history like that because, for like football players, they watch other teams and kind of get like what their strategy going to be against that team. And what we did was we watched tapes of the great stuff. I remember I, I would be out, man, and I'd buy him some tapes. Like I remember, uh, you know, just some old 1970s concerts. Uh, just like I, you know, we'd be at really dope spots like Virgin Megastore in in Paris or whatever, and we'd just go in there and buy everything out. And if I saw any vintage footage uh, like from any of the old concerts from back in the 70s, like we just buy that and then we put it on the bus and just ride and look at that kind of stuff, man. That was like the bomb for us. Like it, like the old Sly, Family Stone days, Larry Graham days back in the day, James, you know, the the staple singers, uh, uh, man, like all of that stuff that was back then, man, we would be all over that like the cheap suit, man. It was just like, that was the bomb for us because we couldn't wait to get on one of the long rides and put that stuff on and just kind of like check it out and then the next thing you know we'd be playing some of that stuff we'd be playing I'll take you there or, or, or some, something from uh, Ike and Tina Turner because that was like moving us man it's like man look at them getting it and back then dude you couldn't come with no you had to hit it them cats didn't have no auto-tune they didn't have no smoke and mirrors it was like you had to bring it man and you had to take it to the stage and you had to have energy and you had to have all of that stuff and kill it. And that's what we like, man. We just like, dude, look at this performance. Look at all the energy. Look how they just they got the crowd. They pumping them up. And they. And we just looked at that like, this is our tape. This is our inspiration to like come and do like what it is. And so we played that stuff, especially in the after show. That's We couldn't wait to get to the after show to start hitting some of that stuff, man. It was like, that's fun. You know, So and he, and he loved that, man. And, and I remember, the, you know, when he did the masturbation the, the, the special, he had like four covers on it. But I, I can't remember, aside from when he did, uh, I think he did a Joni Mitchell song on... Uh, uh, on
0: uh, One Night Alone? Uh,
1: well, I mean, before that even, I think... Uh, uh, when, when, uh, uh, I'm a lonely painter... Um, uh, a Case of You. And uh, so he really rarely did, like, recorded a a, a cover, and, and then we did, like, four. And I remember when he was talking about uh, God was one of us, like the song One of Us. I remember him telling me about that song. He said, man, I really love this song. Joan Osborne, I think. He said, I really love this song. It's like the song I would have wrote if I wasn't afraid to, like, to write it. She, he said she was really courageous to write this, and he said, I, I wish it just, like, man, I wish I had wrote it. He said, but I was just too afraid to write that song. And I was like really saying something because he, it really appealed to him. And, and, and I loved that song. I remember he just kind of changed some lyrics a little bit, but it was a very powerful song and I loved playing it. He loved playing it. And, um, and you know, he would just do some amazing justice with some covers and And then it just got to be a thing later on. Where He just liked doing covers like on the records I think that record opened it up.
0: Actually, one of my uh, most unforgettable times seeing him was, you know, I used to go to as many of those glam slam shows as I could. I was living in Los Angeles, and I was just so psyched that, you know, we had that club there. And uh, one night, you know, it was one of those shows where he would uh, come out late for an after show and then leave two or three times, you know, and still come back later. And a lot of people would leave. And most of the people were gone, but I was there until the bitter end. And um, mm-hmm. he brought Stevie Wonder up there and did uh, maybe your baby and uh, yeah just to see prince there playing his guitar stevie doing maybe your baby on the keyboard and to see prince like his face like a little kid looking at his idol and the sound i mean that was just two of my heroes it was unbelievable
1: yeah it was man it was funny too i remember after that show uh, (laughs) if you remember man we vamped on that for a long time before stevie came in finally uh, and, it, and it just kind of because Prince, you know, cause Stevie was talking, you know, you know how Stevie he can get to polit- some political type of stuff and he's he's talking, man. And we was like, man, that was a long vamp before we kicked in. But when he came in, he killed it. He said, I think he was trying to remember the lyrics because <laughs> he was like, he just went, man. And we like, wow. and we just like kept this thing going. It seemed like 20 minutes, man. But when he came in. Oh my God! I just remember that look on Prince's face when he can I feel like, and it was just like thank you, good night. This Stevie's in, and once Stevie's in, thank you, good night. It's like it's a wrap. He just hit that line, and man, it was crazy, man. It, I, and it was funny, man. There was a lot of people there that night. I, I think that's the night that Greg Feeling Games was there, and he just like I remember looking over at Greg, and he just had his head land on the stage like like he was dead. He just had his head land on the stage like I'm I'm done I'm done, man. And that's what, right after that show is when he called me and told me I want to play with y'all man because he was just like sick you know seal was there that night I believe uh with Wendy and Lisa it was it was bananas man I think maybe Staples was there that night if I'm not mistaken but uh it was it was you know that's what I'm saying man there's so many shows like that where it's like uh those are our heroes and when when Prince would, would, would would get with them it would just like we were kids in a candy shop man it's like you know, Graham and all of them, that was like our heroes, man. We used to tear the record store up to go get those Graham Central Station and Slime the Family Stone records, man. When they came out, we were already waiting at the door at the record store to get it. So, I mean, to have them cats, Maceo, you know, be on stage with us, man, and, and be a part of what we we're doing. It was, man, It was. it was like a dream. It was crazy.
0: You know, I I saw uh, Larry Graham when he made a comeback tour in 94, early 95, played House of Blues uh, in Hollywood, and I got to go backstage and and spend some time with him. And I told him, I said, "Um, have you met Prince? Because he's been playing, that band's been playing, like, so much of your stuff. You know, I Believe in You, the jam, all these songs, It's All Right, all the time. And uh, he goes, I haven't met him yet, but I've been hearing that. He goes, I'd like to meet him. I'm like, you got to hook up with him, and
1: uh, we did in Nashville, and, that, and that's what happened. I mean, uh, Sinbad, I think, was doing the, the whole funk tour thing, and and uh, we just happened to collide in Nashville. And Larry came to the after show, man. And uh, and I think Prince prior to that had actually sent him some, some tracks in Jamaica and stuff, and I think he had sent it, but I think that's when they met was in Nashville, mm-hmm. and then the rest is history, man. Um, he came up, and man, it was like you could have, put, you could have put a, punched a pin in all of us, man. I mean, like Larry came up and us to play the songs with Larry and I think him and Prince had never met prior to that. It was like, thank you, good night, man. It was crazy. And, and the rest is history, you know? That's, that's the people that we looked up to. And I, I remember seeing Prince on many occasions with like Mavis Staples and George and all of them. It's like that was the kid uh, in him being around him because that's the stuff that he loved and that he um, learned from. And then to have those people, like, work on the label with them and then also do the, you know, the film and then do all of the other stuff, man. But Sh- it was- Shaka, Shaka, too.
0: Shaka Khan also.
1: Oh, absolutely, man. Yeah. You know, he told me Shaka and Sly Stone when it first started, man. He tricked Shaka. Uh, and the thinking he was uh, was was uh, was uh, Sly Stone. And when she got to the studio, she realized it was, like, you know, it was him. And he said, oh, man, I, I fooled her. And he said, I was kind of scared because when I hung up the phone, I was like, oh, she's going to come down here and Sly ain't going to be here in a world of trouble. But she had heard about him and, you know, knew she was, he was going to want the brothers and it. <clears throat> and so it all worked out cool and they got to be friends and stuff. But it was kind of funny because he just, he just tricked her. But because he loved pranks like that, man, just like phone pranks. And when she called, he just he just went along with it. You know, he didn't think about the outcome, but it was real funny for him to tell me that. I was like, oh man, that was kind of scary. Yeah, he was like, yeah, I thought I was going to be in a lot of trouble because <laughs> you're only like 17 or 18 or whatever. So, <laughs> so that was cool. But yeah, man, I mean, and that's what's great for me, man, is because these are all my heroes. I mean, you know, you're talking about Graham and, and Shaka. Dude, this was like, and, I mean, and she immortalized me. I mean, they immortalized me because I'm just a joker, man. And I remember she was recording. I, I went in the studio and uh, they were working on a song called Drama. And, you know, Chaka, you know, she just gets it, man. And I remember walking in and she was singing some stuff and then, you know, <clears throat> and then she kind of made a mistake on something. You know how you do, you, you, you go to retrack and do it over again. And I said, Oh my God, Prince, I mean, she getting it in like a, she, 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 uh, getting busy like a one legged man in a kick fight. And he just started laughing. He said, And he punched it. He said, Tell her that. Tell her that. <laughs> and then I pushed the button and said, Chaka, you in there getting busy on a one legged man in a kick fight. And she started laughing too, you know. So I leave, and I get a call, like, Morris, come Studio A. And I come back to Studio A, man. They have worked that line into that record. And, and uh, I'm like, dude, you got to be kidding me right now. She, she says in the song, like, I'm getting busy. There's a one-legged man in a kick fighting. Oh, and then hit this high note, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> oh, man. I was like, uh, you could have knocked me over with a feather. I said, I have been immortalized by the great Shaka Khan.
0: And yeah just, that's all awesome. if she could sing the phone book and make it sound great so that that works exactly.
1: So that was i was good man i'm through man i'm like dude this is banana sandwiches right here man this is so <laughs> crazy but that was that was just amazing man and, and it's moments like that man with your heroes that's like you, you the fact that stevie knows my name and Falcon and, and herbie and all these people man that i admired for all of the years it's just it's i don't know what to call it other than a blessing man it's just it's just so cool man and I'm just sitting out here in the woods where I came from, looking at all these pine trees and stuff, man. And I'm just from from, from Jefferson, Arkansas, man. And and I have done short of a miracle, man. There's nothing short of something amazing, man. So I'm just grateful, man. It's been an amazing ride.
0: Definitely. It's been an amazing ride, and it's still going. Um, Morris, yeah. you, you touched on sort of, you know, what you admired about Prince, and, and you know, he's, he was an innovator in so many different ways. And I want to just mention a few things from, you know, while you were there that were very innovative and just get your feedback on it. So, um, you know, things I'm thinking about is, you know, he was one of the first. He did that interactive DVD, CD-ROM back in, uh, you know, the early 90s. That thing was really cool. I had a copy and, you know, he got to try to go into Paisley Park. He did the, uh, the MPG Music Club with downloads and those tracks. Um, He did a lot of things online, and he was the first. He did the Glam Slam clubs with, like, simulcasts of performances. Mm -hmm. Um, So many of these kinds of things, you know. What was your take on them at the time? Did you sort of kind of start to take it for for granted? And and just talk about him as an innovator in all those different kinds of ways.
1: Well, I I think Prince was always an extraordinary um, idea guy. Like, he would just think of the most incredible... It's just things that, that you just wouldn't imagine. I remember when I was kind of like around two thousand two, two thousand through the two thousand four or something like this. I was with Maceo, and I, and I still lived across the street from Prince. So whenever he'd see me at home, like he'd like have me come over or something like. And I remember one day I was just out in the yard, and he saw me, and he came grabbing, and, grabbed me and I, I went to the house with him. Um, and uh, I was, you know, I just got off the road from being with Maceo. And uh, I remember him telling me, "Man, you're gonna start seeing some stuff on the news. It's gonna hit the fan in any minute now." And he just kind of told me, he said, "Don't say nothing, but it's gonna be like this." And he started telling me about how he had uh, did this thing, the sound scan, where he just like he started putting the ticket, uh, the the record in with the ticket price, and they were like fighting about how they were saying that he can't do it. And He's like, "Sure, I can. You made your own game. I made my own game. You, you, who said you could be the ticket counter?" And, and the, the person who you did, you, made, you created your own game. And so I'm creating my own. So yes, I can. I can say whatever I want to say. So and he just told me like how all of that stuff and how all of these different things, when he was going to do stuff like this and with the internet, like selling the record over the internet. And because like, he would tell me, he said, like think about it. He says, for me to sell a million records by my record label standard, that's a failure. But he said, if we're selling a million records and we're getting all of the money, that's more money than I would have got on a for mega selling record that if I'd have sold it. You know, he said, think about it. $10 a crack, and when we sell a million of I them, mean, we get all $10 million. That's more than I would make on a record with Warners if I had stayed on, the, uh, you know, with their situation. So uh, a million selling record, a gold record, uh, I mean, uh, that's a platinum record, is a is a mega hit for me. And by those metrics, you can't say nothing but, dang, that's right. You just got 10 mil because you just cut out the middleman and you can get it direct to the people. So all you need to do is get a million sales and thank you. Good night. It's like, bam. So a gold record at that point is, you know, it was even like <laughs> not too shabby. You know, even Michael Jackson wasn't getting that much money off of record at the time. So I, I think that was a very innovative thing. Uh, I, I just think that the implementation of it, uh, it wasn't really worked out because I, I, I would tell him like, I think you got to have more people for infrastructure to get this stuff out of here because there's a back order of people waiting for crystal ball. <laughs> and then you made a deal with uh, with, with uh, Best Buy and the people who had been signed on for like six months was like, wait, we've been waiting for six months for or longer for the record. And then you just did it. And now these people are getting the record now and with some liner notes. So it was like stuff like that, that kind of hampered the, the, the process. And I think, I just thought, I remember thinking like, had it been delivered properly, I think he could have just like changed the game. I think everybody would have followed suit, like Janet and like Madonna, the people like that, that were like huge at the time who didn't need, you know, cause when you think about what a record label does, well, what do they do? Well, they have distribution, they have a, a kind of a internal situation where you uh, where you got the promotion department and marketing. And, you know, and they give you advance money. So that was the biggest reason why you needed a major label, because, you know, you need distribution, you needed all of that other infrastructure in order to let people know you got a record out there. Well, Prince was a big artist already. He had fan base. So was Madonna, so was Janet, and so was Michael. All of those people could have done something like that with their own infrastructure and completely crushed the game back then. But everybody was afraid to. He wasn't afraid to. I think his biggest, uh, you know, failure with that, if you can call it that, was just the fulfillment, getting it, getting it out there so that people could actually get it. And I think that was the challenge. But I, but he never liked for ideas. He always was brilliant when he came up with these different ways of doing things. like putting. The, well, I remember when we did 2010 and all of that sort of thing. I mean, it's just like we're going to put this thing in the paper and, and, and do a deal with the newspapers and put a million in, in, in all of these and get them out there. I mean, it was just like groundbreaking. It's like, bing. Just, yeah, just thought of like all of these incredible ways to do, like do stuff, and I and I think that's just a testament to how much of an innovator he was. Just like thinking up all of these different ideas and different ways to like uh, to do things, and it was so uh, groundbreaking, you know.
0: Morris, what about all those videos and movies, and, and I know he's a lot of them really songs. But back around when you were hanging out in Paisley Park in the 90s, you know, I I think he he recorded a lot of movies and videos and things like that. Um, Are you surprised that more of them didn't get released? And do you think we'll eventually see more of those?
1: No, I'm not surprised actually, uh, because I remember asking him one time we were in a car and and, and he said, I I got these tracks, gotta let you hear. There's like five songs of like Purple Rain era songs. And he was talking about these tracks are hotter than Purple Rain. And I'm like, man, get out of here, dude. That's the zenith of your career. That's the biggest record. And you tell me you got something hotter than that that I ain't heard of? I was like, get out of here, dude. He proceeded to put on these five songs and unpeel my scalp. And I was just sitting there going, oh, my God, Prince, you got to put this out. You got to put this out like now. Nah. I mean, we were kind of going through that little low where it wasn't a lot of happening. We just like to use a hit right now. And it's like, dude, I'm like, this is... We'll be back on top, you gotta put this out. This is like crazy, he said, nope. I'm like, well, why? Like, why? He's like, this is gonna be for my kids. I'm like, you don't have no kids, you don't have any kids. What are you talking about? He's like, well, you know, eventually. And I'm like, dude, And I was so flabbergasted because I'm like, this is, because I didn't believe him, honestly. I'm like, you don't have better than Purple Rain in there, because that was the biggest record you ever did and you're telling me this whoops that hands down I'm like I ain't I ain't buying that one dude and he put them on and I'm swearing I said oh my god he was right and I don't know I heard it only once and it's I've heard a lot of bootlegs prior and after and I only heard it once and I was just like oh my god you got more where this came from in the vault I said oh my god That's crazy. He said, yeah, this is a legacy for my kids. They'll have something to put out when I'm done, and they can put it out. And I was just like, oh, my God, dude, this is bananas. Because all I was thinking about, we got to put it out now. He's like, no, (laughs) we ain't putting it out. And I was like, this is crazy. So, yes, there's, there's videos, there's movies, there's songs, there's all kinds of stuff in there. And, and he deliberately didn't want some of that stuff out because he said it was just like for my kids. This is my legacy. I'm leaving for them. And then they will, you know, they'll have something. And I was like, dude, I was like, that's crazy. So, yeah, man, it's it's. I know there's another movie that Sena Homery did and uh, there's stuff that he shot There's rehearsals. I mean, they can release stuff out of there for the next hundred years, man. It's like it's enough stuff in there between him because he recorded everything, and he recorded everything. He recorded all the shows, multi-track. He recorded the shows video, and that, and, and you got twenty-something years of, of that, all in the vault. Come on, man. And everything's different. Like when you you know go from show to show because he just nuances everything. I'm like, dude, that's, I mean, that's crazy to me. So so I, I believe. Uh, that there are some cool things that's in the vault. I believe there's a lot of music in there, that, and uh, uh, that I would certainly like to see. I don't think some stuff is completed. I wouldn't want to see just go willy-nilly coming out that's not ready for prime time if it's something that I don't think he would have proved up. And I would hope that stuff just kind of stays on the shelf. But I think there's enough polished stuff and enough things in there. I, I would really hope that uh, the estate uh, would get some, some, some of us to help them curate some of this stuff. I mean, there's a lot of us who kind of like uh, new press work with them. And I would hope that they would put a collective of people around that knew him, that knew the music and his knew some of these things that he would say, because he would say stuff to me, but he would say stuff to all the other musicians. They have their own perspective of what he would tell them. And I'd like to get together personally. If the If the, estate, if the family decided that's what they wanted to do, I would be at their service to give them whatever two cents I know about it, whatever he told me. And I'm sure that any of the other musicians would do the same. You know, Andre Simone, you know, uh, you know, uh, Mark Brown and just some of the other people that worked with him, you know, that was close to him, especially like Levi and the ones that worked with him on a production level, Kurt, different ones that worked with him on a production level that he would have those kind of conversations with. And uh, so I would hope that they would just put a, a panel of people together that could really just come together and just like decide, like, hey, this is one of the best ways to disseminate this and, and get it out in such a way that it's, it sounds great. It's, it's you know, it's, the, the mixes are polished, the, the, the mastering is all nice, and everything sounds great. And it's just not just willy really, really. I would hope that would be the case, you know. And, and my thing is, is like, uh, you know, if they need in my service, i would be more than happy to help whatever I could. And I'm sure everybody else would be too.
0: That's the dream, the big dream. You know, I, I'm always just amazed because I have seen so many shows and heard so many songs. And then there's something else that pops up. And it's like, man, that's there's still always something new that I haven't been exposed to before. And it's always something great. So it's just astounding.
1: It, it is. And he was prolific that way. That's what makes it so crazy, man, that this dude uh, just could just and, and with no effort could just do so much in so little amount of time. You know, for many of us that try to write, I mean, I go through lots of long stretches where it's like, I ain't feeling nothing, man. I don't, I'm not hearing anything. It's like writer's block. He didn't suffer from that too long. <laughs> His writer's block probably lasts about an hour or two. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like, like, he, he could just d- turn it on and do it, man. I mean, it's, and you know, of course, everything wasn't Purple Rain, and everything wasn't like, but it was still amazing, man. It's just like, that's when you know. Like it's just certain cats come through the game, Michael Jackson and him, and it just, just it, you know that they got something and they got a whole nother thing. They're operating on a different frequency than most mortals. And it's just like uh, for me, just to be around that kind of energy. Because I tried many times to just go home and just try to replicate what I saw. And yeah, I can't do it. Obviously, I don't have those hits. I mean, and neither does a lot of the other people that were around. You know, you got Terry and Jimmy that did well, you got Andre did well, and, and some of the other cats, you know, Sheila did. You know, but it's just a few people who've actually been able to replicate after even being around that cat because he just had a special gift, man. It's just like he had something. It just got shot. God shut it down into him, and it just went in there and pow. It just went in that, and Michael Jackson said it best. You know, I saw this thing when Michael said, uh, he said, well, I always felt like when I go in there, I have to. When I get something, I have to do it then, or else God's going to give it to Prince. <laughs> That's what Michael said. You know, and he was right. It's just like, uh, you know, I don't think that God would just, you know, say, but I get what Michael was saying when he said it, because he said, if I don't feel like if I don't do it, that he's going to hand it right over to Prince. You know, uh, and, and that was, I, I thought that was really funny, because uh, I said, I can see how he would say that. I can could, I could totally dig why he would just say, I got to do it or else Prince is going to get it. Because he knew that that dude was operating on the same frequency, and it'll just that energy just hop skip right over to him. I can I, I completely understand why he said it, mm-hmm. you know, and it's true because Prince was such a vessel, man. That it just that, that that all of that talent just can flow through. It just all of that stuff just came through him, man. Just like water off a waterfall, you know. It's crazy like that.
0: You know, um, I think also another amazing aspect of it is just his evolution musically. So. You know, like it wasn't until I think his fifth album, like 1999 where you heard his actual singing voice he was doing all falsetto before then and for a while he was making like what I thought were quantum leaps in, in musicality, you know from one record to the next. and he kind of stopped doing that you know with like every release eventually. but still I think his playing and his musicianship continued to just evolve. and I'm just curious, you know, in the time that you were there, did you see that? kind of uh evolved I mean, even though he was at such a level he still kept adding
1: to it didn't he yeah I mean I, but i you know again i just saw that from the time i got there you know it was just like he just kept elevate man just when you think you saw him do something that you was like you can't top that then he would top it you know it just was like how where, where does he get it from this just like it's crazy and so I, I totally understand what you're saying and it's like You know, but he kept expanding his mind. Prince was, I don't know where he got the time. I guess that's the whole thing. He he didn't sleep. And he was just this constant study machine. He was online all the time. Like he was like learning, he was like the Matrix. He was just like downloading and uploading in his brain all of this stuff. And he just would just keep expanding. I, I remember asking him one time, I said, Prince, what do you think you're the best at? I said, what do you think if you had to pick what you're the best at? And he said, well, and I said, because you can do all of this stuff, man. You play bass good enough to be a bass player in somebody's band. You play guitar good enough to do it. You could have been a you know, dancer. You could, have, you could have done any one of those things. And he, and he said, he said, yeah. He said, you know what I think, Maury? She said, I think I'm the best at lyrics. I'm mean, like, I'm a songwriter. I'm a poet. At the end of the day, I'm a poet. And he said, I just think people don't read anymore, man. He just said, uh, and so he said, but at the baseline, I think that's what I do best. And I said, you know what, that's funny. I think that's exactly right. You can go through whatever era, you may not like the keyboard sound to use or this era sounds or whatever, but if you peel away the music to any of his lyrics, the lyrics stand on their own. I don't care what era you come from, whatever it was, they're still crafty, they're still, even they can be raunchy, like, you know, good D in a job or whatever, that's the name of one of the songs from a, from a, from a joke that uh, Chris Rock told, and uh, it was kind of rough, but he was clever though still. He was always clever in how he how he constructed his lyrics and how he could do his that part and i always thought that that was the best thing that he brought was his lyrical content and what he did with that he was always ingenious with that because he told me he said i hate bad lyrics man He says one of my pet peeves man i hate bad lyrics can't stand
0: it Or lazy and, um,
1: lazy lyrics yeah exactly and that was a just was a thing that he said used to bother him a big time. He used to nobody reads anymore. You know? Nobody understands poetry. They don't read poetry. They don't. They don't. They're not learn it like that. And and so, for me, I, I was like, yeah, man, I can totally see that. And I think that was one of the things that he always tried to do. he Always write something. And when I look at it, I got I remember he had us all printed out a book of his lyrics and stuff. Like I got this book, this thick thing that's got all these. And I just remember reading through and just like going, like how crafty is this man? Just some of the stuff I had been playing for ages not really paid attention to it like that because I was too busy working on music and I just kind of read it and you just go like, wow. So that's what that means. It's like, okay, I get it now. Because some of the stuff I have to admit, man, I don't know what he's talking about. I'm like, you know, butterflies and zebras. I'm like, I don't know, man. I, I, you know, I'm just a simple dude for market. So I'm not, I, can't, <laughs> I don't understand what he's talking about on that frequency. I, I, maybe it's over my pay grade, man. But that was the thing it was just some of the stuff made you think it was very cleverly done and you know uh, you know it's, 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 you know, you just kind of got the vibe from it it's kind of like this uh, it Just was it was just fascinating man just how it all would kind of like you know kind of turn and it was just like it was really amazing man that he was able to do that and, and and do everything so well and I think that was the thing he was always looking to do was to expand and so he would he would see players. He, and he wasn't, the other big thing, man, he wasn't afraid. He wasn't afraid to try something. He wasn't afraid, and you know, someone was like, well, he shouldn't rap. He shouldn't do this. And he's like, man, I'm going in. I do, I do it the way I do it. You know what I'm saying? He was just like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to try it. Ain't nothing too big for me to give it a shot and, 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 and do it for me. I'm just going to do it with my flay bone. And that's what he would do. And so, um, you know, man, I think that was a big thing. And, I, and he always wanted to expand. He was, we used to listen to stuff and you could kind of tell when he's been listening to some uh, Robert Johnson or whatever, you know, whatever it was, you could tell cause that would be an influence in some of the music. You know, you can tell when he was on the Carlos bench listening to Carlos Santana, you know, you can kind of feel it. And then when we did the song, um, when I Lay laid my hands on you and it's just like, it just sounded like he just channeling Carlos, man. It was just crazy the sound, of the, the approach, all of that, man. And then some other stuff is like Hendrix. It's like, he's just like, it's Jimmy Date. And, and it's just like, you just feel enchanted because he'd probably been on a Hendrix band. And it's just like, you can feel it, you know, like Lee and some, some other different stuff that we've been doing around. It's just like uh, the ride and all this other kind of stuff where he's singing the lines that he's playing on his guitar. And it's just like he just constantly just moving the game up, constantly stepping up the situation. There.
0: Now I heard you on an interview from earlier this year, and um, you referenced an amazing um, experience seeing Prince like tune his guitar while he was actually playing. Um, yeah, so but apart from that, what is like one or two other of the most amazing things that you ever saw him do?
1: Well, I mean, he was really good at just spontaneous things, man. I mean, it was like he can fill out a lot of situation. And just, I remember we were in, um, I think it was Germany, man, and uh, we had never played this song. It's called Solo. And um, it's on the com record. And uh, I had never played it. And, uh, it, it, it was, man, it was kind of scary because it was crazy because uh, I never really played the song. It was one of the songs we never we didn't work on, but he just felt like saying it that night. And he just said, yeah, Morris just back me up. So I just had to get on like this organ sound. I'm on some keyboards that I don't really normally use. And so I just kind of had to just find the sound. And then he sang solo and I just kind of did my own thing on it. And, and it was just like me and him. And he's like, so we just went to church, and he was, and he just murderized it. Like Michael and Sonny and Tommy, everybody just like, uh, Tommy wasn't even actually there that night. It was just like we just went, and Tommy didn't feel like coming out, and he wasn't even there. So we just, me and Mike and Sonny, just ended up doing it. And dude, it was so crazy. I mean, even Sonny and Mike, I could hear them like going woo woo on the side, like you know, woo woo, on the side. Because he just went to that false and he's like singing hard, and he's like, Oh, it's like opera. And I remember after that, man, it was like he was like, Damn, Morris, that was cool, man. He said, See, Kathleen Battle, see, so you can be doing some stuff like this with the with, with the opera singer. She was in the audience, and he was just talking about like how, you know, like he just was like so excited, man, like when it went there, and that, and just like on the fly, like that, man. It ain't nothing we had worked on, we hadn't rehearsed it or nothing. He just felt like just back me up and we just gonna go like you do at church. Just follow me. And it's just like boom. And it was like, man, if people lost their minds. I lost my mind because I was scared to death. Because I'm like, I don't knew this song so much, but he's just like, just, just like you would do, just follow me. Fly, just do it. Flying without a net. Yeah, man. So it's just like we okay, we're gonna we're gonna go, man. We're gonna jump off the cliff and where we land, we're gonna film and louise this bad boy. So <laughs> we did, man, and it just we landed on the other side, man, and it was one of the moments, man. I wish we had it on tape, cause it was it was crazy, it was real crazy, and it's just like, I just remember that feeling, and he man, he gave us a lot of money that night too. It's just like he was so happy, just like I think everybody like, thousand dollars or something, just like for real one night, <laughs> just like here, pow! It's just like just after show, we like, oh okay, yeah, I like that, I, that's nice. It was just crazy because it was just like a, a moment, you know. And it has been other moments where it's like, you just get this magic. And it's like when certain things happen and come together, there's just this magic. You just can't help but to be like, wow, this is one of those moments. And there was plenty of those. There's plenty of times where it's like something happens and it's just like, wow, you can't repeat that. It's just a moment in time, you know, and that's kind of what's sad about times now, man. It wasn't everybody didn't have, you know, high definition movie cameras and their phone. And, and, and now we, we, we kind of do this thing where we don't live in the moment. We kind of film it and then watch it later. We're there in the moment. We film it so we can watch it later, which is really interesting, you know. And we all, I mean, I'm guilty of it. I've done it it's like because you feel like I want to be able to just remember this moment. And it's like, you know, those moments I have, it's here now. You know, it's there. And I, I can recall it and you know it's not necessarily any proof of it but I mean at least I was in the moment man and I didn't have anything that distracted me from what I was feeling and what I was hearing. It's just like when we did the thing with with, with Bono and Edge at, and when we were in Ireland and uh, I just got a new respect for Bono um, when uh, he did the cross with us and he didn't know the song and Prince just stood behind him and kind of fed him the lyrics and we, I mean just killed it like he uh, just like that's crazy. That's when the big boys get together and play when you know it's big boy time because mm-hmm. you can do that man and just be like yeah dude I'm just gonna whisper the words behind you and you just and you sing it like you own it like you wrote it you know and, and Bono did that he, he he went in man and it was just like cool man I was like wow this is cool this is how big boys get down and so just moments like that man that I never forget it was like it was cool uh, and then you got moments uh, you know like we we had a thing with Seal and so it was like it was interesting man it just was you know because he, he was a little lyrically challenged on the on the lyrics of the song he had the right energy but the lyrics was a little different for, alphabet, for uh, mountains and so it was it was like it was really funny because we look at each other like going what are these lyrics Seal talking about right now and uh, so it's like man there's so many moments like that man that just make the whole ride, just amazing, it's like a big movie, man. I feel like I've just lived in this movie for the last 20 some years. And so it's just really remarkable, man. I'm just grateful.
0: I um, promised my wife, who's also a lifelong Prince fan, we actually met because she was also a fan, but um, that's another story. But um, she, she wanted me to ask, you know, what is something about Prince that most people might not know or realize?
1: Well, I, you know, I think the thing that most people probably didn't see was his philanthropy. You know, Prince was a, uh, a very giving uh, person. He believed in doing a lot of stuff for a lot of people, but he also believed in keeping it off the, off the grid, you know, kind of where a lot of people didn't know exactly, you know, certain things he would want people to know because I think he wanted people to follow, like when he'd get big money to like, the dance school or something like that. Uh, you know, I think he put that on blast sometime because it's like, it's good to see artists doing things like that. Maybe it'll inspire some other artists to do the same. But then there was a lot of things he did for people personally that was off the grid that nobody knew about. I remember when any of the band members' uh, family would die or band members, when Bonnie Boyer died. Uh, I him calling me and asking me if I could get a hold of the family, and just tell him he'll take care of it. You know, just don't worry about it. He'll handle it. And then uh, other times when that happened, like the same thing, i get a call and it just say, could you reach him and just tell him I'll, I'll take care of it. And, and just don't make a big splash about it. And just very low key with it, man. Those were the type of things that I think a lot of people really didn't understand about how philanthropic he was. And it's a different schools and different people in different situations that nobody ever knew about. And he would tell them, please don't say anything about it. I don't necessarily know anybody know about it. Just take it and just do what you got to do. And that was a big thing about him that I think a lot of people may not have known.
0: Um, what was it like with the uh thirty-one uh, twenty-one period? I think you were along for that. He was doing a lot of those private parties. I mean, that must have been a blast, right?
1: Yeah, it was interesting, man, because I, that was when I had just kind of finished uh, you know, doing my run with Macio and I remember Tamar, you know, I, I, I worked with Tamar when she was like 12 or something. So I, did a demo I actually introduced her to the clutch camp. And um, she called me out of the blue, like, hey, it's Tamar, you know, it's Ashley. I'm like, oh, what's up? She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I just got off the road with Maceo. And he, she's like, can you come to LA? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I can come. She said, Prince wants you to come. I said, Okay. And so um, he called me and he said, uh, uh, can you come in I said, yeah, sure. I said, uh, any idea how long? Because I, I, one thing I'd learned about Prince was you have to get a vector on how much time he, he wants you, because that's always very quagmire type stuff. You don't know how long you're going to be somewhere. So sure enough, some in my instinct said you better try to get a vector on how long, so you know kind of how to pack for this thing. If you don't want to show up with three days worth of underwear, and you're gonna, and now you got to stay for like two weeks. So I just said, okay. I, I he said just well, kind of long as it takes or whatever. So I just packed up a nice little bag, and I ended up being there for nine months, living at the hotel in the park in West Hollywood for like nine months. I was at the hotel long enough where I wanted to start working there. Everybody knew me. And it was like, you know, I could go down the front desk and run the operation because I was staying at this hotel for so long. And it just was really an interesting time because we were like working on this music and then working on this thing with Josh and Core came in at that point. They were playing with this guy named Frank McComb and, and uh, just kind of just like started doing this thing with Tamar. And it was really crazy because one thing morphed into the other because now we started doing this and Prince said, I want to be a guitar player in your band. And we went and did this tour with Tamar. But then that ended up turning into what the, the the new power generation was going to be for that iteration it was like uh renato Neto, uh, john blackwell and Rhonda smith and then once he got that band he decided well this is the new mpg and after he did the little tamar thing he said well then i'm just gonna stay with this lineup and then make the next inversion of the mpg out of this and so that's what happened and so it was interesting man it was a lot of fun because you know the twins and and Tamar, we went and did we did these shows and yeah, 3121. And I record 3121, the track is one of the most congruous grooves he had did in a while. That that groove on there was like it was kind of reminding me of like uh Days of Wild. You know, we could play that for 20 minutes, but that gung 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 gong gung gong, 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 gong He just could make these train like coming down the track, uh tracks that was like just once you get the groove, you just like put whatever you want to do over the top and just groove forever. You know, it's the perfect club hitter because you just be groove. You know, it's just one of them things where it's just like, here we go. Just get a seat. You're going to be working on this one by 20 minutes. Enjoy the ride. <laughs> you know, it was like that. so. So that record was uh, it, it had a few gems, but, you know, Black Sweat and everything. So what it was cool. Um, and it was interesting because I, I, you know, for him to just kind of take the side spotlight, not really take the spotlight and kind of be like a guitar player in Tamar's band was kind of different. That was real different. You know, it was like interesting.
0: Did you do the uh, Vegas residency stuff too?
1: Yeah. And, and that was fun. I mean, for half of that, we did that. And then for the other half, we brought in Neto, uh, Renato and the horn section, Mike Phillips and everybody. And, and, you know, O and them, and, you know, so that was kind of cool, because we started out half of that with with that with the small crew, and Shelby Johnson came in at that time, and then um, halfway through, we decided we wanted to bring the horn section in, just kind of elevate things, and it just it just kept going up from there, so it was it was cool, and then that just kind of set off things for what was to come, uh, you know, with the 21 nights in London and all of that, so it was, just, man, it was cool. The, the Vegas thing was cool, because I'd never done anything like that. It was like, that kind of set up the whole idea this residency kind of vibe, and so when we did London, that was had to be the dopest gig that I ever did with Prince. It was just like, this is the bomb. We are gonna be in London. We got apartments. We living in London for a few months, and and we just I just get on the tube and just go to work on the tube. I had a studio set up there. I had my own room that you know Prince would have my studio set up just like I had in Vegas, and man, I get on the tube go. You know, I could get in the arena at any time have my own keys. You know, just get in, and and and, and it was just dope. And then we sometimes we'd have to move out for either Elton John or the Rolling Stones or whatever they came and, but they still left my room intact. They had to move everybody else, but since I had a studio, they just like move everybody else with me out for the Stones or for whoever. And then I, it was it was man, it was like a dream because we work a few nights a week. And the rest of the time I'm just in the lab, you know, I'm either there and then just hop on the tube, go from my apartment straight to the O2. And man, it was just like, this is the life, man. I'm like, this is the life, bro. It's so dope. So
0: living across the street from Prince, I mean, did you guys hang at all apart from music? Did you watch
1: like basketball games together or was there a <laughs> social aspect? Yeah, we did, but most of that we did at Paisley. I, I really didn't hang at Prince. I, I mean, the whole time I was with Prince, I went in his house probably, I can count the amount of times I went in his actual house. We always hung out at Paisley, you know, we had a bunch of like big screens and stuff. So whenever we get together, we'd always get together. I think that house thing was just like his personal space that he really enjoyed just having a place that was just his personal space. And I think that was like sacred ground for him in his house. And I never tripped about it. It was like, yeah, dude, that's, that's your escape spots, so only like a handful of times I went ever everyone in this house, but um, we would do a lot of stuff at Paisley. Like if it's a big game, or if we wanted to get a fight, you know, uh, uh, any anything like that, uh, or a big anything off like uh, uh, the the whole, uh, uh, you know, when you have to pay to watch the whole thing. Uh, pay paper. Paper. We do the pay per view thing at Paisley. So, and then, and, and, you know, I had a, a massive movie collection, man. I, I love movies. I always wanted to, like, score movies at one point. I figured out later in my career, maybe i get into scoring. So, man, I used to go to Blockbuster and buy everything that would come out. Just like whatever. Well, I just get a, just a boatload of movies. Like, as soon as they get ready to come out, they're like cheap at Target. I would buy them at, like $18 or $15, whatever. They, I just would get everything to come out. And I had this massive, in my studio in the basement of my house, I had this little media room that like had like hundreds and hundreds of movies and Prince wouldn't even go to blockbuster he'd like come over with a, be, like a date or something'd be like you know he'd be like I get comments like I'm coming over here and borrow some movies and and he was and he'd tell a girl like i don't i don't I don't go to blockbuster I come over to Morris's and just get movies from here problem is whenever he borrowed I just wrote it down because I'd never see it again it's like he didn't never bring that back it just like it was just just there go to the Godfather, part one, two, and three, that's home. So you know, but it was cool. He just come over to my spot and get movies, man. He just do that whenever he wanted to watch something. He'd just, just come over and just like walking through the library. I had walls and walls of it down there. And he just like, dude, this is Blockbuster. And he's like, I don't even go over there no more. So um, that was that was cool, man. And so he was hanging out like that. But I think he looked at the band a lot like family man, because even when we weren't playing he liked to just hang out and do stuff like that, watch pay per view, and, and and do other things like that, um, have dinner and and those sorts of things. And they, and I understand even after I left, I think it got to be even more so. He just started really getting that way, where way he's got closer to the people that he was working with, and you know, there are a lot of I think toward the end, a lot of them started flying on his little jet because uh, even you know when I was there, I mean, we did that sometimes here and there, but I think. Uh, Toward the end, it got to be even more so that the people um, uh, just was he just wanted them around, you know what I mean? And I and I think that's cool. I, I think that's a natural progression. I mean, as you get older, he just got cooler, you know. He just got stuff got to be more laid back and and just kind of like he was just cool with hanging out with everybody. So I'm glad to see. I, I was hearing about it, and I'm like, I'm glad that's happening. You know, you know, he needs that.
0: So why did you kind of wind down your tenure with him and stopped playing around 2012?
1: Well, I, I don't think it was more or less that I winded down. I think that, you know, I probably run my course 20 years is a long time for anybody, especially, you know, I was the worst keeper of player he had, so, I mean, um, I think, um, you know, after a while, it just gets where Prince just wants to change the scenery. He just needs one different energy, you know what I mean? He always told me, like, the reason why he changes up musicians because it changes the energy of the, of the band, it changes the sound. Uh, you know, different uh, uh, players bring a different energy to it. I've, I've read some of the interviews uh, from some of the guys in the um, Revolution. I, you know, I just kind of read some of the stuff, and I just see some of the comments about you know uh, the different bands and uh, uh, why you know the, 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 they're the, the bands or whatever. But the truth of the matter is. Prince changed because he liked to change the sound. He liked to change the energy of the of the line up because he said that that changes everything. It changes the way I write. It changes the way that the sound is because all those people bring a different color to the sound. And I think that's what that was. I was fortunate enough to be a chameleon and just kind of blend with whatever the situation was at the time when he had the jazz kind of cool with Blackwell and Minato and then I still had a thing that I brought to it that didn't get in the way of that So he used me a little bit on different things with that crew even. And so I just kind of ended up being this this kind of uh, a morphing piece that could work. But I just think after a while, man, it just like, you know, I'd been there long enough. That was good. I I didn't mind. I mean, it's like, I had a good run, man. Let the kids make some money, man. Do enjoy some of the stuff that I enjoyed, man. Uh, You know, I I had an incredible career with Prince, Anybody that doesn't make it after all of that much time that's not his fault, that's your fault if you don't do whatever after that much time and whatever. So let these other kids have some you know, man, when he brought in third eye girl and you know, Hannah was really young and and Donna and and, 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 I, and Ida, I mean shoot, that's great. Let that, them have their moment, man. It's all good. I had mine. So it's it's like, you know, and I could hear when he was starting to go with, you know, twelve horn players, a lot of the parts that I played was like was inside of the horns anyway, so just I could, you know, and he didn't even paid me to play bongos. I just I could feel all of my parts being marginalized and 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 being like handed over to like horn sections because that's a lot of the stuff that I played. So, I mean, I get it, man. Why well, pay me all that money to do nothing really? So, you know, man, it makes sense. Everything makes sense. And I'm and my thing is I didn't expect to last a year. I took I bought a video camera with just about every piece of money I had saved up, I brought this really dope Sony little video camera, it looked like CNN, i was so clear at the time. It was dope, because I felt like I'm gonna get this one run to Europe. And that'll be it. And I won't document it because I'll never go again. (laughs) And you know, and because I thought I'd be one and out. Just go on the tour. He realized after the tour, like, okay, that that was okay. So let's do something different. And then I'd be gone. But at least I would have that moment. And, and have those moments and, and then so I could remember, but it didn't turn out that way. I ended up staying longer than everybody. And I think it was mostly due to my, rather than my plan, my attitude about everything because I had reverence for the position that I was in and that I understood my place in the situation. And I always treated it with respect. And I think that's what more than my talent would kept me around is that, uh, you know, he could count on me, he could rely on me. I, I was where I was supposed to be when I was supposed to be there. And, uh, and I never wanted to be the, the, the problem or the issue that he was going to have to deal with. I'd rather somebody else be that. And then, uh, you know, he didn't really have to deal with me from that. So I think that was the one thing. And again, that's another thing I talk to players about. Just be prepared, man. And 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 don't take it for granted. And I think even at the end, after 20 years, I just got to a place where, you know, I know that me and Prince started getting some arguments because, you know, you get to a place where it's like, bro, you can't tell me this at this stage again. game i know better so we would you know we would kind of get in more conflicts because you know i, I had been down the road I, I knew better than that you know you can tell that to some people but I, you can't tell me that because i know better and so we would have conflicts about it because i just wouldn't just take it I wouldn't just like be like you know you know no man come on you know and i think when you get to that point i think that's when it's probably time to go you know, it's when you, when you kind of stand up and, you know, you kind of, then it's like, okay, he's gotten where he's kind of, you know, standing up. And it's like, I see, you know, I think a lot of times that that can too play into it. And I just got to where like, uh, I, remember, I remember he was riding in my car one time, uh, there toward the end. And I remember I had my phone like laying on the dashboard and he didn't really like electronics around and stuff like that. And I remember him telling me to you know, ask you well, ask me if I could, you know, take the phone away and I'm like, no, man, I'm in my car. Like, I, said, I said, besides, Prince, I said, what, what, at this stage in the game, we've been on the Super Bowl together. We've done all this stuff. Why would I record you, man? Why would I uh, do that and ruin our relationship when I know that if I got busted trying to record you or do something to that effect, it would be over with us? He said, no, it wouldn't. I said, yeah, it would. It most certainly would. If you caught me recording you, it's game over, and you know it. Why would I do that? He said I wouldn't do that and ruin all of that. And I said, what? And for what? To prove what? Did I know you? Or that we? That that I look? I got prints on my phone. Like I got them recorded on my phone. We, we've been on the Super Bowl together, bro. But So what do I got to prove to somebody? I, don't, I wouldn't do that. And so it was a it was on a front on my integrity the way I felt. And so I just told him like, no, man, I'm not. You're in my car. When you're in your car and. You can have it the way you want to be. If you're gonna ride in my car, my phone rides up there, it's okay. When you get to that point, it's like, then I, you know, I called him on it and I, you know, and it's like, so, okay, Morrison, you know, he's a tough guy now, so I don't know, man. You know, it's just like things like that, but, I, but, I, but it was just, you know, again, I just, it didn't make any sense to me. I'm like, I, of course I wouldn't do that. I, I knew how he felt about that sort of thing, but I wouldn't allow my, my integrity to be called in question. And, 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 and to say that, you know, well, you're gonna record me. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. I would, because that's not my integrity. I wouldn't do that to you. I wouldn't try to do something just to prove, God, I don't have to prove anything. I'm in music history from now on for the work I've done with you. What do I gotta record you for what? So that's, I think that's where, you know, at the end, I think it kind of had gotten there. And so it was cool, but I just was like, you know, I, so I wouldn't, it would have probably been a time early on where I wouldn't have said it. I just would have took the phone down and put it away. But i just didn't feel like at that point in the game i was willing to be tested like that and i just was going to let him know that I, you know man i don't i don't appreciate you you know thinking that that's something i would do because i would not do that
0: did, did he make band members uh sign ndas or agree to you know not disclose oh, all
1: artists do that man i mean there's you know stuff early on i hadn't signed one in, shoot in ages but you know, when you first come on any, I think any major artist, you sign that kind of stuff. And I think you probably should. I mean, it's like, yeah, a lot of that stuff, but then I would see some of the latter ones, and they were so crazy, like, you know, that I was like, I'm already, if I sign this, I'm already in violation based on what I do for work here. So if I signed it, I would automatically be in violation of, of doing that, because that's what I'm looking at right here is what we do, is what I do. So I can't sign this, I would be in violation, so I wouldn't sign it. So, you know, but like I said, yeah, I think, I think that's a reason for that. And and, because you don't want people like after things are done, come all out and put the man's business in the street. I mean, I wouldn't do that. I mean, you know, uh, when I, when I talk about Prince, man, I've done tons of interviews and I don't never try to, you know, it's not my thing to try to have some salacious piece of info and, and who he used to see and what all of this kind of stuff, man, that's not, I don't care anything about that. My thing is, I'm more interested in the things that I've learned and disseminating that type of information. I don't ever want to say anything that's going to be a detriment to Prince or anything like that. So that's not in I'm not interested in that anyway. And I don't need a piece of paper to do that. That's just my professional integrity, he I, I, I was my friend. I don't want to say anything that's going to sully his name or, or, or his situation, I would never do that. So that's not, that's not what my thing is about. I like the stories about Prince and I think there's a lot of stuff about Prince people ought to know. And I know a lot, you know, as far as that kind of thing. And, and, and I think as long as it's done tastefully and as long as it's done in a positive way and not to you know, I don't want to hurt him. And I don't think most of the people that was around him would. I, I, I don't think. And, and, and anybody that would, un, that's unfortunate because most of us, nobody would know if it wouldn't have been for him. So no matter how good, there's a lot of great musicians that didn't have the opportunity that we had. And so nobody knows about some of these cats because they didn't have an opportunity to do what we did. And much better players than me. So I don't, man. I don't take it for granted, and I don't trip. So I just think that the, the least I can do, uh, personally, is to to, to maintain uh, a level of professionalism and and respect for somebody who put me on. The fact that I'm sitting here talking to you wouldn't have been possible I had it not been for Prince, and I'll never forget that that aspect of thing. And i never. Uh, you know, get to a point where I disrespect that relationship.